Welcome to the Interconnections podcast today. I'm John Burke, Managing Editor of New Project Media. Joining me today is uh, Tad Lothier, uh, VP of Market Development for STEM Inc. Uh, Tad, thanks for joining the program. Glad to be here. So, uh, trucking and automobile vehicle manufacturers are trying to accelerate their efforts to make electric vehicles not only for the future, but for the present. At the same time, institutional capital is being put into play to both accelerate these platforms and build the necessary EV infrastructure, such as uh, chargers. So, Tad, with that in mind, um, you guys recently announced a deal uh, to reach a co-marketing agreement with uh, Anji North America to provide e-mobility solutions to schools, transit agencies, and commercial fleets through the U.S. Um, perhaps you can outline through us this actual venture and, um, you know, what's the timetable for getting um, this off the floor? Sure, you bet. <clears throat> so the history of STEM's kind of approach to, uh, to this, to, you know, how we ended up at this partnership is that STEM's um, core technology, you mentioned the Athena platform, uh, is designed to operate energy storage systems in uh, originally in commercial building settings. And so, you know, our longest running systems are behind the meter battery systems operating um, in, in that CNI sector space. And as the you know, distributed energy resource industry has evolved and the electrical electric vehicle industry has evolved, the two have started to really converge. And in the past, you know, really in the past year, uh, we've started to hear much more than ever before from our customers. Uh, hey, you know, we love what you do in terms of operating energy storage. Uh, oftentimes it's with solar and managing, you know, batteries and solar with a building load uh, is complicated. I'm going to be adding electrification of my of my vehicles to that mix. Uh, can you help? You know what what do you what do you propose? And so uh, after you know, kind of hearing that from the market enough and recognizing that um, the integration of of electric vehicle charging with solar and storage really brings a lot of benefits and you know providing kind of a unified solution to the market uh we we partnered up with ng that uh you know they've got a, an incredible global footprint uh incredible reach into uh you know whole swaths of customer segments that you mentioned um and you know we're bringing this kind of the, the simplicity, the convenience, as well as the, the value that, that is brought from interoperating these, uh, these assets with the Athena platform to the market. Um, we're, uh, we're talking to customers today. We have, we have some pilot projects that are in the works. We can't say who they are quite yet, but we will soon. And, um, and so, you know, as far as kind of timing to bring this to the market, it, it's now, we're, we're in the market. <laughs> And we're uh, we're ready to have those conversations. A project that involves storage and solar and EV charging is not an overnight project, right? Many of these, uh, the, I would expect the first projects um, wouldn't be live until the end of this year or early next year. You know, these they typically take nine to twelve months to execute. But uh, but we're we're ready to take the uh, take those customer meetings today. Excellent. Thank you for that. Um, so we've seen um, a, a few of these ventures already get announced in the last uh, 
12 months or so, uh, namely EQT's investment in first student uh, and the formation of Levo Mobility, which is a joint venture between Nuve and Stone Peak Infrastructure Partners. Um, just wanted to learn a little bit more about uh, Athena software here and what sort of advantages it brings to the market, if you can just walk us through it a little bit. Absolutely. So, you know, I want to um, draw some distinctions between you know, the kinds of companies that you're describing and, and you know, some of these business models, um, because uh, a lot of times the uh, I think to, you know, the untrained year where you say, hey, we're going to, you know, um, Athena or STEM is uh, participating in this aspect or that aspect of the market. Um, there are a number of different business models. You've got <clears throat> kind of fleet as a service um, business model where, uh, you know, which I think, as you mentioned, level mobility, um, the, um, the model there is that one entity both owns the, the actual you know, trucks or the fleet vehicles themselves and the charging infrastructure and charges those trucks and provides that whole sort of end-to-end -end solution as a service. Um, another uh, young company that we've seen in that space is called Watt EV, based in California, and they're building out uh, similar sort of trucks and charging stations that they can offer that whole solution to customers who want to electrify their, their transportation. Then you have charging as a service, and, and that you know, charging as a service is like a company called Ampli. It's done a great job with kind of establishing a name for themselves in that area where they assume you're gonna take care of buying your own vehicles, but you need somewhere to charge them. Um, and then, you know, I wanna distinguish all that from, um, from vehicle to grid companies. A vehicle to grid it is, a, is a really a nascent um, area where <clears throat> some companies are saying, hey, we, we could use our software platform. And, and, you know, we've certainly thought about this with our Athena platform. We could use this platform to manage these multiple you know, movable assets on the grid and support the grid during, during times of grid strain. Um, and vehicle to grid, I think, is, is really in its, in its early days. We think it's going to be a few years before vehicle to grid companies really kind of mature. Um, so, you know, we're, we're really looking at, at those other two business models as, um, as you know, spaces where, um, where we can support, <clears throat> where batteries come into play. Um, both charging as a service companies and fleet as a service companies, the um, the impact on the grid when when you know electrifying a fleet of heavy duty vehicles is just really kind of instantaneous. You know the the charging levels for for heavy duty um, trucks. You know you mentioned buses earlier. Those those chargers are just much larger. They can be you know ten to twenty times as much power that they draw versus a, a fast charger for a commercial car. You know. Uh, fast chargers for passenger vehicles are about 20 kilowatts. Um, some of the, the truck chargers that we're um, working with are 350 kilowatts. You know, so you think about uh, having a number of those all at one location and the impact on the grid. And that's where, where battery storage can really come uh, into play. And, and those, those assets need to be managed. They need to be intelligently managed from a central point of control. That's what Athena can really do the Athena software platform can see the power flows and manage the uh, that all the distributed energy assets at a given site. Is, <clears throat> great, 
I can talk a little um, bit about the value stream, sort of why we would do that for a moment. I mean, you know, I think I, I hit on this, but in the, in the commercial industrial in the building sector, what you're doing with batteries ranges, but oftentimes it's either you're helping save money on the utility bill or you are increasing the sort of clean energy quotient. You're, you're enabling something like solar on-site consumption. Uh, and in some cases, you're enabling resilience, right? Backup power. So it's the same three value streams that that you're bringing when you pull energy vehicle charging into that into that mix. Great. Um, so let's take a step back. Um, you know, EV charging, um, you know, did get included, uh, or EV infrastructure did get included in the infrastructure bill that was passed um, a couple months back. Um, don't know if there's any more incentives built into the build back better, but I, I think there is um, if it went through. Um, so, you know, from your view, it'd be nice to get, you know, a 10,000 foot opinion as to, you know, where we are in terms of policies incentivizing uh, for EV and EV infrastructure and, and kind of where it needs to go. Yeah, thanks for that question. The um, to, to touch on, on your mention of the Build Back Better Act, we do, of course, hope it will pass, and it, it does have additional um, incentives for EV. So in the Infrastructure uh, Act that was already, an infrastructure bill that was already passed and signed into law in November, there's about $7.5 billion tagged for EV infrastructure build-out. There's another $9 billion in the Build Back Better Act. Um, but the Build Back Better Act also has a storage ITC, which would further enhance the, the deployment of, of energy storage with uh, EV charging infrastructure. And um, so we're really hoping that, that you know, Build Back Better does pass um, and working on that on the, on the D.C. front. Um, generally speaking, <clears throat> we think about kind of the policy um, areas where storage and EV charging, you know, intersect. Um, I think the key theme is that it's really important, both from a, a ratepayer perspective, a taxpayer perspective, whoever's paying for you know these these um, infrastructure buildouts, to consider storage as an alternative to what can be you know very expensive and sometimes impossible um, upgrades to the power system that are needed to support this new load. Right, we're going to be bringing lots of EV charging into dense urban cores. We're going to, you know, where there may be grid congestion, we're going to be bringing it to rural areas where there may be, you know, kind of end of line, weak grid conditions. And, uh, and even just over, you know, building over what a substation is designed to handle in, in a you know, suburban setting. So in, in any of those cases, uh, battery storage can help that, that EV charging meet its peak power needs. And it can be an alternative to what might be a much more expensive, you know, upgrade to the system. Um, <clears throat> that brings other benefits too. So, so that's kind of the first key policy theme is that we want to make sure it's critical to storage kind of be considered as an alternative to upgrades and that it's included as, you know, balance of plant or included in the definition of what EV charging infrastructure is. Um, <clears throat> yeah, taking it to the, to the next level, I mentioned kind of on the federal side, you know, that that funding that's coming through, we're excited to see that there's a new office called the Joint Electric Vehicle Office. This is a collaboration between Department of Transportation and Department of Energy. 
Um, and they'll be they'll be tasked with deploying you know the majority of that that seven and a half billion dollars that I mentioned. So I think there'll be some great um, you know kind of incentives coming from the federal government, but there'll also probably be grant opportunities where we'll see some real unique innovations. And that's something that that STEM certainly and our Athena platform will be will be following and looking to to participate in. Um, Before you continue, I, I would ask though, have you received any feedback yet on what the priority is going to look like for this for the distribution? Of that seven and a half billion? Yeah. You know, I don't have the numbers at my fingertips, but there are some there are some breakdowns available on the on the website the um, about the you know the okay. allocation. Some of it is to go to like uh, highway electrification, you know, so specifically sort of like the interstate, you know, corridors that that you know, enable uh, shipping coast to coast, that kind of thing, to really make sure there are stations at appropriate intervals all along the highway corridors. Uh, and then and a good portion of it is for innovative and new technologies and new approaches, demonstration projects, things like that. Yeah, and to your point about the uh, Build Back Better and the um, ITC, uh, I remember seeing these statistics back in October about the... Um, uh, significant uh, uptick in production for standalone storage the second ITC gets you know enacted or triggered for that um, you know not that it's stopping standalone storage from being built now it would just accelerated quite a bit so um, that's uh, that's good to know there um, yeah, anyway especially so in this, in the, sorry especially in this area because yeah. so often uh, if you think about you know gas station converting to electric you know, electric chargers, uh, how big is the roof of a gas station? You know, how much, there's just not enough room to put a major, you know, PV canopy up there that's going to really power cars. But you certainly could put energy storage there that can be trickle charging from the grid 24 hours a day and then supporting the peak charging that comes in during rush hour or when those trucks pull up. Yeah, to your point point too about densification too, I'd be interested to see... um, uh, changes the footprint for like uh, DG, uh, you know, manufacturing, distributed generation and uh, community solar. I mean, we've talked a little bit about community solar plus storage sort of, you know, there, but not really. So it'd be interesting to see what happens there as well. Um, once, once the ITC gets kicked in. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, well, let's, let's, uh, sorry, carry on. Um, some other well, yeah, that's sort of at the federal level. I thought I'd mention a couple of states that are doing good yeah. things. Colorado um, has a, a electrification bill that they specifically included electric, you know, energy storage in the definition of their EV charging you know, equipment that's eligible for state level support and incentives. Uh, Florida has some interesting grant funded projects going on right now where, um, you know, Florida's the hurricane state, right? So they've got a real need to electrify that evacuation route. Uh, in the event of a hurricane, the power might be out, and so um, there's some there's some neat projects going on in Florida to um, do you know electric vehicle charging backed up by batteries, uh, so that you know people can use those escape corridors if they're uh, driving an electric vehicle, you know, trying to is, get out. Is FDOT running those programs? What's that? Is the Florida Department of Transportation running those programs, or is it coming from somewhere else? Yeah, I think it is Department of Transportation. That sounds right. Okay. Uh, I can I can get back to you with the. <laughs> with That's the okay. Certain. Yeah, I just know they um, like, for instance, the city in Miami is now in the midst of a you know radically electric you know creating 
transit options, you know, for the first time, you know, massive metro systems going to the, the public private route to get it built. So it's interesting to hear that part of things too. I'm not surprised to hear that there's some forward thinking there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's different agencies, but you know, at least, you know, there's some progress, you know, in trying to clear urban jungles, which is, you know, Miami is, is one of those, those jungles there that they're trying to, to clear up. Um, so anyway, um, sorry, any other states uh, you wanted to mention here? Well, California always deserves a mention, um, and and New York. They're both uh, taking real aggressive stances on you know bringing in electrification. California has you know, the the wildfire problem, right? The public safety power shutoff. So there you have uh, even more of the um, the sites that are electrifying are trying to make sure they've got the ability to continue to charge at least some of their fleet during an extended outage, you know, not just a couple hours, but what if it's five days, you know? Uh, and, and so you see that in, in California really um, driving attachment of energy storage to, to electrification um, systems and projects. Great, um, thanks for that. So. Um, I was going to swing it over to um, just e EVs and OEMs at this point, because um, I certainly like to get your view on this. And I, I think I touched upon it before we got in the air about how, you know, certainly the cost of making these vehicles has come down. The sticker price has come down. Um, but, you know, you look at it relative to other cars and there's still a, a, a big wide gap. Um, you know, you're talking about you know, cars that are priced somewhere in the 30K to 40K range, whereas, um, you know, other models, uh, gas, <laughs> gas fired models are, you know, still in the 16 to 25 range, if you will. Mm -hmm. So for the consumer, there, there are dollars being tested here. And, um, you know, obviously the states are trying to meet the demand. But the other thing about it is, of course, if you don't have sufficient EV infrastructure, you know, around your neighborhood, then then why, why are you buying the car? You know, like. Right. It, it, it's a very tough, very tough math that the consumers face with today. Um, so I guess I kind of wanted to get your sense about for the the auto owner, you know, what really needs to change, you know, in the next five to ten years to make this more telling, or is are, are hybrid models really the the ultimate solution here? Um, what, what's your view on this? Uh, <clears throat> no, I, I think pure play EV. Um, EVs are, are the solution. You know, the, I think hybrids made sense when um, the you know, range anxiety was kind of the dominant theme in the EV market. And people were trying to figure out how can they, you know, go more than 100 miles. And we, we're now getting EVs that can go 300, you know, 350 miles um, today. And I'm not sure I want to drive more than that if I can help it <laughs> one day. But, uh, but we'll see 500 miles in passenger cars in a couple of years. So, I, yeah, I think that um, you got to consider total cost of ownership, of course, right? EVs are typically they're going to be you know, cheaper to power and they have fewer uh, maintenance issues. Um, an interesting stat that I read, the drivetrain in an internal combustion engine vehicle contains 2,000 moving parts on average, and the drivetrain in an electric vehicle contains about 20 so about the, you know, the maintenance uh, issues that, that, you know, you're going to be you know, facing, um, 
the, the total cost of ownership is still higher, but it's, uh, you know, I think in the five to $10,000 range, you know, when you think about it, like from a net present value to buy that car and, uh, and it's forecast to, to reach parity around 2025 for consumer vehicles. So that's what, you know, that's when I think we'll really see um, much more broad kind of market uptake. Okay. Um, so getting to EV charging infrastructure, um, can you walk us uh, through what the current opportunity is for investors and developers alike, where they're sort of concentrating their, their, their CapEx dollars around? Um, you know, I guess the, the most visible examples I'm seeing are, are a couple different planes. Um, you know, the, the one I, I saw for, for the first time was a couple of years ago with rest stops um, in the New York State Thruway area. Um, it was a P3 public to private partnership. And investor consortium one, it took a little while to get closed, but I think it closed either a year ago or over a year ago. And um, it's a, to a consortium involving Apple Green uh, built into those contracts was the ability to build the new Tim Hortons, but also install EV charging at those rest stops in New York. Um, and that's ongoing right now. Um, and then I saw another example, again, with EQT and for student, where the idea was, you know, you were going to electrify the bus fleet create um, EV charging at the bus depots where the buses would park. Uh, and so that was a point-to-point -point system, uh, depot to school. Um, and then I think people have talked about other applications like malls and, and office parks as being a, a potential frontier, but there's still a lot of variables into it. Uh, and then obviously the home. But mm -hmm. um, what, what are your, where are we right now um, in terms of EV charging infrastructure and um, where are the real opportunities? Yeah, it's it's a great question, and and you know, it's it's a broad one. Um, where where you know where where people charge their cars matters, and then and you know where we charge our our trucks and our fleet. Um, so you know what I think we're seeing is lots of passenger vehicle charging will occur in the home, and that's that's kind of expected to continue. And I think we'll see some vehicle to home. Um, applications as well, which is, you know, you've got the Ford F-150 uh, out there now, but there are other vehicles coming where that'll be a capability that I think will really um, get ahead of things like vehicle to grid. So I think in the home environment, you, you have home charging and, and vehicle to homes coming uh, on the, you know, sort of on the go charging. There aren't that many, you know, kind of um, charging stations for passenger vehicles to go to right now, the way that we go to a gas station and sort of going to a destination to, to charge up your car specifically. But I think those are coming. Um, Audi's got a, a pilot project in Germany that's getting a lot of press right now. It's a really nice looking lounge and there's espresso and, you know, and high speed chargers. So you're not there forever, right? You can stop for 20 minutes and that'll give you the charge you need to get where you're going. Um, <clears throat> And I think we'll see more and more, you know, innovations like that on, you know, when we start to think about the, the high power applications and integrating renewables with charging. And that's, you know, where, where we kind of started our conversation. STEM's focus is on the heavy duty charging, the buses, the trucks, where, you know, those large, you know, high power chargers are going to have a large impact on the grid real quick here. Uh, and the integration of the renewable resources to charge those along with the intelligence to kind of manage the charging and balance all that 
Um, that that I think is the area where you it's a software problem. More, you know, first and foremost, you know, to to get all this all this hardware that's relatively straightforward. Uh, you know, making it all work together and making the energy, making the power flows uh, do what you want them to do, achieve your goals. That I think is the area where we see a lot of opportunity. Okay. Um, so just a closing section here on energy storage. A um, couple, couple of questions here. And, you know, if you can tie it into how Athena is there to, to solve some of these issues, that would be great. Um, along with some broader overviews. But, you know, look, there, I think to some of our discussion earlier, you know, you see utilities now build into their next uh, procurement for renewable resources sort of in the following manner where they want to see solar plus storage. It's not, storage isn't optional anymore. You know, they recognize the need for it. Um, at the forefront of this is, is CPOC or California. Um, with their sort of, they've done an emergency grid RFP. These are for storage resources. Um, but I've seen other examples where there uh, is the need for storage to be part of the proposal. Um, I also saw one the other day, um, the, the CCAs in California did a joint RFP where not only did they ask for storage, but it had to be longer duration. It was eight hours. It was stipulated in there, mm -hmm. um, which I think was the first time I'd ever seen that. Um, really tells you about how, um, you know, states, A, are ramping it up, but B, you know, they're, they're trying to retire some of these older plants. I mean, they, they need intermittency resources, like now, it's not optional. Um, yeah. uh, and that's really, really being um, enunciated by these RFPs. So, you know, perhaps you could maybe walk us through a little bit about how storage today is crucial in solving intermittency and where does it need to go? It sounds like longer duration or, or anything above four hours is starting to gain a little bit of a, an acceptance and getting a little bit better, but it still need, has a ways to go. And it's not really the most, it's not, not most commonly used now as this standalone storage, or sorry, the co-located storage component. Mm -hmm. But maybe give us a, a little broad sense about um, storage today and, and um, you know, what your sense is in the, the newer technology, the longer duration technologies, uh, and when it's going to become a more wider accepted uh, technology um, for these projects. Sure. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, in thinking about this, the, the overall arc that you're describing, you know, the, the need to attach storage is, um, is evidencing itself for in, in many ways as RFPs you described. Um, we're starting to see that in RFPs for EV charging as well. So, you know, corporations uh, like the Fortune 500 and the STEM has over 30 Fortune 500 enterprise customers. They're asking us, hey, I want to electrify my fleet. And they're putting out RFPs where they're saying, I want, I want electrification and I want storage. You know, and so that that's that that same pairing you described with solar is actually starting to make its way into EV now, which is exciting. Um, <clears throat> but the the electrification of transportation is real. It's going to be the largest increase in electricity demand on the system that we've seen in decades. Um, and storage should be a primary tool in meeting that new need. Um, so. You know, when we think about these these issues, you know, grid congestion and weak grid conditions and things like that, one way that these that sort of the Fortune 500 and some of the, the leading 
buyers are um, thinking about storage integration into that into you know sort of problem matrix is twenty four seven renewable matching. Uh, so this is something that is a relatively new concept, but it's there's you know five or six really good kind of you know marquee projects out there by Microsoft, um, Alf, Alphabet, Google, Adobe, uh, Amazon. These guys are recognizing that in order to really transform the power system, you've got to have clean energy that's produced on the same grid where you're using it and 24 hours a day and, and matched to the, to the shape of your load. And that's the only way to really address the long-term sort of power system problem without kind of moving energy around and, you know, to, to get us to turn off our peak power plants at night, right? That's what we need. So I think that's an area where <clears throat> that sort of implies, you know, storage is a, core part of that solution and to the extent that we can get into some cost-effective longer-term storage technologies eight hours 12 hours that will really make those types of arrangements even more cost-effective and and you know to the point where they're beating you know grid power and and in some cases of course we already do beat, beat grid power but trying to do that 24 hours a day you really have to make a corporate esg based commitment to it today as opposed to you know, being profit motivated. But I think that will flip when we have cost-effective long-duration storage. You know, the, the most promising technologies out there, um, you know, I think I think actually hydrogen is going to be a, an important player. It's a form of energy storage. It's still a couple of years away, but I think that that's, uh, we're probably going to have to wait for hydrogen to, to fully mature to have the that kind of, broadly applicable long duration storage option. Um, most of the other long duration storage options are some of them are very location specific, you know, compressed air, you've got to have a big salt cavern or something, right? You just don't have that everywhere you need it. Uh, and, and the other long duration storage options have similar constraints. So um, I'm bullish on hydrogen, but I do think it's still a few years out before uh, it'll be ready for more widespread adoption. Yeah, it's kind of like any other market starting in Europe and it's growing in Europe quite nicely. And, um, you know, I'm certainly aware of the cost gaps that are there uh, right now um, between uh, the U.S. and Europe and, and green hydrogen versus LNG in the U.S. is also uh, there's a big broad gap there as well. Um, and getting back to Build Back Better, again, it could accelerate some of this. There's pilot programs written in there for green hydrogen funding waiting to go out the door. Um, if and when the thing it passes, if it does pass. Yeah, that's yeah. um, <clears throat> another one where the state of New York has taken a leadership position too. They really want to be a hydrogen uh, yeah. hub in the future. Well, I mean, and there, there are certain um, companies out there that are now sort of ready to, to do bigger and broader things like plug power and um, a Bloom Energy is another one. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of these companies that are just nascent and ready to, to do bigger and broader things once the policy is there to uh, go along. And I don't think um, the renewable folks we talk to, you know, certainly recognize they have the infrastructure now. They have the wind farms. They have the solar. They just need to bring in the electrolyzer to harness this. Um, um, but they don't talk about it so much yet either. Um, you know, I think they're they're waiting to get better better direction around policy as well before they sort of pull in their next generation, which which sounds like it could be hydrogen, mm -hmm. for the most part, um, or, or at least ventures with people, you know, platforms, all that kind of stuff. I, th I think the common theme is that <clears throat> it'll be a mix, right? You know, the 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 energy mix of the future is not 
coming from one thing. It's not all solar. Right. It be a mix. And that's where it really boils down to a software problem to manage all these different resources. You know, it's a, it's a, and a software opportunity to manage, you know, solar and batteries and maybe some kind of, uh, you know, generation source, uh, whether it's a fuel cell uh, or, or, you know, small wind, you know, and, and load that's controllable and manageable and EV charging is a part of that. And so you know, that, that's really, I think, what we're going to see in the future. It's an all hands on deck um, problem and, and with software and, you know, AI driven software at the center. Uh, well, Ted, I think that's about all the time we have. I'm not sure I can label this podcast properly. Maybe we'll call it an energy transition podcast and chalk it up to that. I'm sure okay. we, we, we fit the bucket quite nicely. Yep. Uh, we anyway, covered a lot of ground. What's that? I said we covered a lot of ground. Yeah, we did. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time today. And uh, let's do it again soon. Um, for the podcast subscribers out there, thanks for tuning in. And uh, we'll be back soon. Perk out.